Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I'll read the whole of the section from Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. But our focus today will be on that first phrase of Matthew 6, 10. Hear the word of the Lord. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, we are slaves way too often to the kingdoms of this world. So open our eyes today to what it is that we seek, what it is that we pray for as we look at these words, your kingdom come. Help us to be changed by the words spoken and read today. Help us to know you and glorify you better and more through what we learn today. And help us as we leave this place to seek you and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we gathered, we looked at the previous phrase, hallowed be your name. And we talked about how hallowing God's name is the prayer that God be glorified throughout creation, both in our own lives and in all things. And while we know that God is glorified in creation, not every man, woman and child speaks the glory of God. So how do we deal with this fact that God demands to be glorified and yet he is not? And also with the fact that we cannot glorify him on our own. It is for that reason that Jesus gives us this prayer, your kingdom come. And today we will look at what is the kingdom of God? What is it that we are praying for to be brought about on this earth? We will look at what it means and what it looks like to be a member of that kingdom. First, what is the kingdom of God? Throughout the history of Israel, the kingdom was marked by a political reality, a cultural reality as God gathered and called the people of God together, called Abraham apart from the nations and brought him to be a people. That nation grew as it stayed in Egypt. It left Egypt and settled in the promised land and grew into a nation ruled by monarchs. And then that nation fell. Because of their own sin, because of their own idolatry, God judged them as he promised he would. And during that time of judgment, God raised up men who would be prophets and they proclaimed a coming Messiah, a coming kingdom, a Messiah who would reestablish the nation of Israel, a Messiah who would bring back the glories of the Davidic king. Or at least oftentimes that's what the Israelites expected They expected a political reality of a kingdom that God would establish on this earth. And yet, if we look deeper into the prophets, we see words from Jeremiah that people would be changed. 
the law of God would be written upon their hearts in such a way that it would not need to be taught and that hearts would be changed, not just political realities. We look deeper into the prophets and we see that God would bring in not only ethnic Israel, but all of the nations to be part of his kingdom. And so as we put these things together, the expectation should have not been just merely for political reform and for the reestablishment of the monarchy, but for a kingdom that is marked by spiritual realities. And we'll look at four things today that the kingdom is marked by. The first thing that the kingdom is marked by is changed hearts. In Genesis chapter six, we're told a reality about humanity. That every thought of humanity is only evil all the time. That means we have a fundamental difficulty in bringing glory to God in being his people is that our hearts are turned away from him. And so the first characteristic of this kingdom is that God must come in and change hearts. How does God come in and change hearts of those who are turned against him, who seek their own glory and seek to hallow their own names instead of the names of God. Well, he provided for us a sacrifice. He provided for us his son who walked this earth completely and totally pursuing the glory of God in keeping the law in interacting with his brothers and sisters, both genetically and ethnically. In approaching his death and taking upon himself the punishment that we deserve for our sins so that we might have the grace of life and life eternal. And then the Holy Spirit comes and takes that work of Jesus and applies it to hearts of those who are called and who repent of their sins and believe in the Lord and Jesus Christ as their only hope, as their only savior. The first reality of the kingdom of God is that it is a kingdom of changed hearts. It is a kingdom of regenerated human beings, men and women who have been changed by God. Secondly, it's a kingdom of justice. When Jesus began his ministry, we're told in Luke, he went into the synagogue and he read from Isaiah 61, where it talked of. Excuse me, Isaiah 61 talked of the lame being healed, the blind being given their sight. And lives changed, wrongs made right. And Jesus says, you see me today, these things are fulfilled in me. God's kingdom is a kingdom of justice where wrongs are made right. This may be a future reality. It may be a present reality where we see these things change. But God's kingdom is a kingdom of justice. Rachel Denhollander recently wrote a book called What is a Girl Worth? You may not know who Rachel Denhollander is, but she was uh, as, at the age of seven. And again, in her teenage years, she was abused first off by a Sunday school teacher. And secondly, by uh, one of the doctors at Michigan State University. She was the first to come forward bringing public charges against Larry Nasser, as he had sexually abused hundreds of young girls over the years. As she was making her decision whether or not to come forward, she 
had to understand how justice works. And she said, even if I come forward and it goes nowhere, I know that in the future when he stands before God, justice will be done. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of justice. Thirdly, the kingdom is marked by growth in sanctification. We'll look at this a little bit as we look to see what it means for uh, what it looks like for a person to be a part of the kingdom of God. But when we look at the kingdom of God, it's it's not only a kingdom of people who have been changed from people who hate God to people who love God, from people who are unholy to people who are holy. But it is also marked by people who are pursuing a greater holiness. And the fourth thing that the kingdom of God is marked by is hope. When we pray your kingdom come, we join with John at the end of the book of Revelation saying, come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's a hope of knowing that this is not the end. It's a hope of knowing that this is not our best life now. We have a far better life awaiting us. We have a life where the kingdom will be fully realized and those who are members and people within the kingdom will be gathered together with God. Their their hurts will be healed. Their tears will be wiped. All things will be made new and we will live forever in glorification. And so as we look out upon this world and we we say, what is the kingdom of God? It is the people of God who gather around the fact that they are redeemed, who understand that we are pursuing the justice of a redeemed world. They are pursuing holiness. And we are driven by hope. So what does it look like for a person to be a member of this kingdom. We read the characteristics of the kingdom when we read from the Beatitudes, the first um, 12 verses there in the book of Matthew. The kingdom of this world teaches us that the things that are important are power, wealth, recognition and reputation and success. And while these things are not bad in and of themselves, when we pursue them as the ultimate source of meaning, as the ultimate source of reality, we make them our God. We make them the ultimate things in this world. And our temptation oftentimes, even here within the church, is to look to power in the name of God as our ultimate hope. To look at wealth in the name of God as our ultimate hope. To look at recognition and success in the name of God as our ultimate hope. And yet it is changed lives that we should pursue. And it is these characteristics of the kingdom that we should pursue in our lives as we pursue the holiness that God has given to us. The first characteristic is being poor in spirit. Tim Keller contrasts poor in spirit with middle class in spirit. You know what it means to be middle class in spirit? It means to think that I have all the resources necessary in myself to be able to pull myself up by the bootstraps and make myself right with God. 
To be poor in spirit means that we stand before God, understanding that the only thing we bring to our salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. We have nothing to offer God as far as our righteousness goes. We understand that it is not our goodness. It is not our sinlessness that brings us salvation, but it is God's grace that gives us salvation. We would expect the people of God to be people who mourn. We live in a world of death. We live in a world racked by death. And so sometimes we mourn for our own loss, for our own sufferings, for our own struggles. But we should also be marked by mourning for the difficulties of this world. Does it break your heart to hear of people suffering? Does it break your heart to hear of people struggling? Does it break your heart to see the ravages of sin in our world or even in the lives of your friends and your acquaintances? The people of God should be people who mourn. We would expect God's people to be meek. Now, we oftentimes look at the word meek and we think this means a doormat, somebody who can be used and stepped on. But meek is a word used to describe a war horse broken for battle. It describes strength under control of a higher authority. We are to be strong and confident in what we believe and yet humble before our God and before the world around us. We should expect the person in God's kingdom to hunger and thirst for righteousness. John Calvin says we should have a great longing for our own sanctification. Do you long to see God's grace grow in you? Do you desire with your very being to see God change you in this life? Do you lament the sin in your life and desire for God to help you remove it? We would expect God's subject to be merciful. We're told, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. As we move through the Lord's Prayer, we'll see that we pray to forgive as we have been forgiven. And then talking about in verses 14 and 15 in that, that as we forgive others, we should forgive others in the way that God has forgiven us. Do we offer mercy to those in our world? Are we pure in heart? Do we pursue a purity in heart? We know from our study in Colossians that as we as we are set apart as holy by God, as we are set apart as chosen and beloved by God, we are covered in the righteousness of Christ. Do we rest in that and pursue even more purity in our heart? Are we peacemakers? Or do we stir the pot when it comes to, I don't know, politics? How people should use their money, how people should live their lives. Do we pursue God's peace or do we stir the pot? And finally, are we persecuted for who we follow? Not because of who we are. I've heard it said before that the gospel on its own is an offense, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. Make sure you're not the offense. Make sure it's merely the gospel 
But we must understand that if they hated Jesus, they're going to hate us. Are we accepted in the world? Or are we looked down upon? Are we persecuted for what it is that we believe? What does a kingdom person look like? Kingdom person looks like Jesus. Jesus fulfilled all of these perfectly. And he received and we receive the rewards of these because he gave them up. He gave up the kingdom of heaven. In order to become a servant obedient to death on the cross. He gave up being comforted. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gave up the earth. Satan offered him all the kingdoms of the earth and he gave it up. He gave up being filled. He gave up mercy. He gave up peace. He gave up God. So that we might have those things. So that we, even though we fail at these, might still be marked as kingdom people and people who can expect the rewards of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is marked by redeemed people. It's marked by justice. It's marked by sanctification and it's marked by hope. So what do we pray for? We pray for four things when we pray your kingdom come. First thing we pray for is evangelism. How do you get to be a kingdom member? Through redemption. So when we pray your kingdom come, we are praying that God, by the power of his spirit and through the work of Jesus, change souls. Draw people to him, change their lives so that they might be taken from people who hate God's name to people who hallow God's name. Secondly, we pray for justice. There's a lot of wrong that happens in this world. And we pray for justice. We pray that God makes the wrong right. And we pray knowing that God will ultimately make all wrongs right. The third thing we pray for is that God drive his kingdom sanctification deeper in us. Lord God, when I pray your kingdom come, I pray that you make me poor in spirit, that you make me mourn for the brokenness of this world, that you make me meek, that you make me hunger and thirst for righteousness, that you make me merciful, that you make me pure, peaceful and persecuted. When we pray your kingdom come, we pray that God do his work to make us holy and like him. And fourthly, we pray with John, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. We pray for hope. It's hard. It's hard to have hope in this world. As we see the darkness around us, as we gather with people and mourn with them, as we deal with loss, as we deal with suffering. But we pray that God build his hope within us, a hope that this is not the end, a hope that this is not the best we know or hope for but a hope that is secured in the work of Jesus, that where he is, there we may be also. We pray for evangelism. We pray for justice. We pray for sanctification. And we pray for hope. Can you honestly pray? Your kingdom come. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, let your kingdom come. Let the gospel be preached and proclaimed to all and embraced by all.
Let all men be brought to believe and claim as true the record of the work that Jesus has done for us as it is found in your word. Let all men, let all women, let all children embrace Jesus as their king and as their savior. Let the bounds of your kingdom and the ministries of your church be enlarged. And let the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of Christ. May all human beings, may all men, may all women, may all children become subjects of this kingdom. And may they live in such a way that honors you, that proclaims your truth, that seeks your justice, and that lives in your hope. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.